What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 169 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's Sunday evening, and joining me after a riveting Stanley Cup final game six <laughs> is the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man? Oh, hockey. At least at least the Braves have been playing better and took care of business uh, this weekend against the Marlins because, yeah, not the most enjoyable game six is Stanley Cup, but we'll, we'll see what happens on, in game seven. Yeah, I would have left it alone. I know most people don't care that listen to this podcast about hockey, but uh, because... I uh, I wasn't I, I wasn't forced to watch it, but and because I knew I had to wait till the end of it, I did watch it, and there was a, <laughs> a sporting event that I watched. Also, uh, just for the record, uh, the sound quality may not be as good on my end. I uh, I'm actually on the road. My grandfather passed, so I'm on the road, and that is why I am here and not in my normal microphone setup. So all that I'll be on the road, and we'll talk about it later. But let's talk about some baseball and. Um, you know, it was, as you mentioned, a good weekend for the Braves. I'm going to hold off on the actual content of what transpired over the last, like, I guess, week and a half, two weeks. We did an emergency podcast, you and I, uh, earlier this week. It was very short by our standards to break down the Dallas Keuchel signing, which, so if you missed that Im- immediate reaction, go back and listen to it, at least download it. Um, but let's talk about that for a little bit now for a second, because Dallas Keuchel was supposed to pitch on Saturday in Gwinnett, and uh, hilariously, I was at a friend's house, which is like, a mile from Cool Ray, and I was going to pop over there, and then it rained all day, and that got rained out, and I, and, I, and I missed it. But now, he's scheduled to pitch Monday, so uh, the debut is coming. It won't be in Atlanta to start with, but uh, the contract language is interesting in that he's going to have to be up pretty soon here. Yeah, you mentioned uh, it got rained out over the weekend, which is too bad, but he's going to pitch with Rome, uh, you know, A-ball affiliate uh, Monday, assuming weather holds up, which again, I know it's been a little shaky in that area, but... Uh, from all accounts, he, he did throw a, a bullpen session on, on Saturday once the game was rained out. And I think both Mark Bowman and, and Dave O'Brien were there for it and said that you could just see, even in a bullpen session, his pitches look good. He looks sharp. This this didn't look like a guy who's been sitting on the couch for the last eight months and not doing anything. He looks like a guy who, in theory, should be able to to make a couple of rehab starts and then and then get ready to go. So um, all lies on him. It's, it's unfortunate it's going to be at such a low level of the minors. Um, although for Keiko, I think, you know, 31 years old, this is his seventh full season, I think it is. Not a guy who's going to need a ton of reps, uh, at least in theory. So it'll be fun to see him out there. Hopefully he's sharp. It sounds like he's built up already to go 85, 90 pitches. Uh, and then depending on how, on how he does and, and how uh, others in the rotation do, notably uh, Kevin Gosman, uh, I think there's a chance that, that we see him sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, as we noted on the uh, emergency pod, Gosman being a disaster in two straight starts. Just for a refresher here, uh, Gosman in two starts has gotten through six innings with 20 hits and 15 earned runs. That is as bad as if you could possibly get, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's two starts, but uh, you know the fact that you know he he's the one everybody has circled as Keiko's spot. If they were to go with the same five-man rotation, he would be the one that would be replaced almost certainly because Julio Tehran has been good. So, uh, And obviously the young guys, and, full, and you know, maybe Fulte if something goes really wrong, but for now it's pretty obviously Gosman that would be coming out of the rotation if they were to choose someone to replace and now they're lined up. So that's something to certainly monitor. Gosman pitches earlier this week, which is uh, one to circle, uh, by the way, Monday. So if people listen to this, Probably Monday on their commutes somewhere. Uh, tonight, Kevin Gosman against Pittsburgh at home is uh, he needs to pitch well. Let's just say that. Yeah, he's he hasn't been sharp, uh, as we know. He's he's a two pitch guy, and when one of the two isn't working, he he tends to struggle. 
the split the split hasn't been very good lately. His fastball, it seems like every fastball he throws is dead center and, and about 95, and big league hitters aren't going to miss that. So it, it's interesting that he's now lined up with Keuchel, both of them scheduled to start on Monday if something goes awry. I think his next start would, would come against the Phillies next weekend in what will be a huge series in the East. Uh, so we'll see. I, I hope it gives him a little bit of a kick in the pants and and gets him get figuring out some things. He's facing a Pittsburgh team that just five days ago uh, lit him up, and, and he struggled to get through five innings, I believe it was. Um, so, yeah, he, he hasn't been sharp. Um, and Alex Anthopoulos actually went on MLB Network Radio, I think it was this morning, and talked a little bit about Keuchel, and it was the first time he had talked uh, since the actual signing. And he mentioned part of, of the interest for the team, other than the obvious reasons, was that the Braves didn't necessarily feel confident that if one of their current five starting pitchers went down, whether it be to injury or, or they just need to stop pitching and, and get things right in a disabled list trip, uh, they just didn't feel confident with anybody else in the organization if they suddenly needed 15 or 20 starts the rest of the way. So it, it adds a little bit. It, that's not earth-shattering news by any means, but Anthopolis did come out and say, uh, that they're a little worried about their starting pitching depth and you just can't predict injuries and all that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see just how sharp Keuchel is and, and if the Braves, uh, are, how aggressive they are moving him up. If, if he pitches well tomorrow night, or I guess tonight by the time people listen to this, uh, would it really be that big of a surprise if, if he's coming up uh, right by that June 18th deadline? I, I don't think it would be. Oh, certainly not. And uh, just for the record here on Gosman, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be Keuchel for Gosman. If, if Gosman shows better on Monday, they could go to a six-man rotation, for instance. They've floated that kind of idea around because of the fact that they might want to protect Soroka and Freed, maybe keep their innings down a little bit, skip those guys every once in a while. That could be in the mix. I would say Soroka's been so good, you don't want to skip him. But uh, it's just one of those things where there are other options. It doesn't have to be Keuchel for Gosman, but it's good context that you bring up there from Alex Anthopoulos. And, you know... Part of that is because like guys like Kyle Wright have not been good. Like Kyle Wright's been a disaster this year. He's like a seven something ERA in AAA. That's that's and he's he was supposed to be the next kind of guy that you would circle. Uh, I guess they have Tukey and Newcomb in the current major league bullpen, but they kind of need those guys where they are as well. So all that stuff is kind of going into one mixture, and they could certainly use Nelson Keuchel as we talked about on the emergency pod. He's uh, gonna be good, I think, which is uh, you know maybe not, maybe not elite, but certainly a very solid. Mid rotation guy at worst, and uh, that's pretty good to have around. Um, you know, we'll talk more about him as he gets closer. Obviously, I do want to circle back to the other big news that was within the last two weeks. That's the MLB draft. Just for the record, neither Scott nor I are MLB draft experts by any means. And uh, the Road to Atlanta podcast on the same feed did a deeper dive. Matt Powers and Eric and those guys are uh, much better, much better uh, informed, at least than I am, and I think probably better informed than Scott is, without, without offense to Scott. Um, but so go back and listen to that for sure. But the draft happened, so we should at least touch on it a little bit. The Braves did some interesting things in the first round. Some uh, maybe not shocking picks, but some sort of off the radar things, and maybe they're saving some money because there was a report out there that they signed their uh, their first-round pick, at least their first first-round pick, to a little bit of a cheaper deal than expected, and it could be loading up for some day three draftees that they had and maybe some creativity with the slot system. So what what was your takeaway from the draft? I don't really have much takes in general on the draft, and I always say that, so I'm, I'm going to save mine. But if you have anything to add, please go ahead and do that. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm I'm far from an expert, though. The people who I like reading and, and obviously know far, far more than I do. Um, I The Shea Langoliers pick was widely liked for the most part, and um, it was reported, as you mentioned, I think the slot value for that pick was about $5 million, and, and I think it was John Heyman 
who reported that he signed for four million. That's a whole nother million dollars. The Braves will have in slot money to to work with elsewhere. You start thinking about their other early picks. Braden Shoemake is is probably a guy who might sign for a little bit less than the slot at, at twenty four at twenty one. Um, and then Bo Phillip, who was the infielder who kind of raised some eyebrows when he was taken at, at number 60, is, is almost a guarantee to be an underslot selection. So uh, it's pretty clear the Braves' strategy was to, to load up on college talent early on. That was the that was the strength of this draft. And then aim for the aim for the fences, aim for the sky, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. Uh, later on in day three with their later picks, I know a handful of, of people who are very smart liked a good chunk of, of their selections on the third day. Obviously, it's no guarantee that you throw money at them and they sign. But but generally, when you do have a little more money, a little more flexibility, you're going to be able to sign more of your your high impact, high upside uh, draftees from the third day. So good to see. And uh, hopefully they can get everybody signed and start to restock the farm system, especially with so many people graduating to the, the big league club. Yeah, I saw some tweets from our own Matt Powers about the day three guys and how, um, you know, basically they got like six guys who were you know, much more talented than your typical day three guy, and they could throw extra money at those guys and perhaps make a difference that way. And that seems to be the plan, at least in some form or fashion. Um, and in general, I don't worry too much about this stuff until later on, but, uh, you know, Langoliers is apparently a, a very, very good defensive player that has some interesting bat potential and uh, shoemake. Those guys were both seen as, you know, big-time talent even as, even as far as a year ago. I think Carlos Colazzo, good friend of the program, former co-host of this program, Baseball America, those guys were both in like the first round mock draft a year ago, basically, for those guys. So uh, not like totally off the radar, maybe, maybe somewhat surprising in the moment, but certainly very talented, and uh, we'll keep an eye on those guys. But yeah, please go listen to the Road to Atlanta podcast. It's on the same feed as this one, so please subscribe to this podcast and that one on the same feed, all in one package deal. Um, one more thing before we get into some actual baseball talk, Scott, is that the All-Star game is coming. That was announced uh, within about a week of this podcast recently, and, and since last time we talked, um, I don't really care all that much, but I know people are excited about this. 2021 All-Star Game is coming to SunTrust, which will probably not be called SunTrust by that point, um, given the merger and all that stuff that's happening there. But um, I, know, I know you don't live here, so the impact on you <laughs> is not terribly yeah. uh, not terribly large, but um, any thoughts on the All-Star Game coming, or is that just sort of a noteworthy item we can skip over? Yeah, it's cool. Uh, you know, I went to the festivities for the All-Star Game when it was in Phoenix like eight or ten years ago, and it was a lot of fun. So if anybody was debating a trip to go in 2021, I would highly recommend it. Tickets are generally insanely expensive, uh, so start saving your pennies. But yeah, it's it's cool for the Braves, cool for uh, cool for those in the area, and hopefully, you know, all the young guys keep playing well, and we have a handful of, of players in that game in, in a couple of years. Yeah, obviously it's, it's two years away, so nothing uh, terribly interesting. And honestly, I think the impact of it in terms of just like local economy stuff is very overrated. But it's a good like vis- visibility event for the team, the franchise, and you know we'll see how things look two years from now. But um, you know, but if, if you have to bet, the Braves will probably be a pretty good baseball team two years from now, based on their young core and all that stuff. So that also helps. And uh, that's kind of where we'll leave it for now. I don't really have too much more on that. I want to at least mention it, though, since it was kind of big news nationally when it hit. Um, Before we get to the actual baseball, Scott, I do want to take a second and give people a couple of sponsors. So uh, hold on one second. Hold on tight. We'll be back again just momentarily with more Braves content. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Scott, we're back, and let's talk about some baseball. Um, overall, you know, it's been almost two weeks since we actually did a full regular podcast, and uh, the Braves had a really streaky two weeks. Uh, they finished 6-5, and five, which does not seem streaky, but they uh, did not win or lose in alternate fashion the entire time. A couple of win streaks, a couple of losing streaks, and uh, the end result is a decent one in that the Braves are now only one game back again, um, you know, Depending on when you checked in, they lost three. They lost three games in a row. Then they won three games in a row. Then they lost two games in a row. And then somehow they won today. Uh, we'll, we'll end with that later. That was a wild one on Sunday. Um, but overall, still in good shape despite some frustrations over the last two weeks. Yeah, it seems like all year this team has been a little Jekyll and Hyde. One night, you know, they'll have a series where they score eight runs a game, and then the next series they they're struggling to score two runs and they're getting blown out. But all things considered, they're now with the win today. It's they're seven games above 500, which is the best they've been all year. Uh, the Phillies lose, so the Braves are just a game back. Again, mentioned the series next weekend in Atlanta. That should be a lot of fun. And now they get to welcome in a Pittsburgh team that that hasn't been great, though they did, of course, take two out of three just this past week. So up and down to be sure. I think a little bit just comes from the instability that's been in their starting rotation over the last month or so. You've had some really good performances notably uh, Julio Tehran and, and Mike Soroka. And then you've had some really bad performances, mostly from, from Gosman and, and Fulton Evich has been a little bit of a mixed bag. So um, all year they've been streaky. If you think about it, though, at, at 36 and 29, if, if we would have talked three months ago, I think we would have happily taken 36 and 29. And, and you think about just how abysmal that opening series was uh, in Philly. They're, they're 10 games above 500 since that just disastrous opening series when, you know, as, as everybody knows, they were throwing – a uh, couple of pitchers who aren't even in the major leagues right now. So yeah. it, it's been it's been a little uh, it's been a little frustrating. I think you know fans. It seems like when people think the Braves are going to start to make their move and retake the top of the division, they lay a stinker a couple nights, and then when people get kind of down on them, then they win three or four in a row. So it's been a tough team to peg down, um, but hopefully they, they really start to hit their groove as as we mentioned, adding Keuchel. Um, still, you know, the bullpen has stabilized somewhat. It's it's never going to be elite by any means, but it has gotten better, of course, over the last month or so. Um, and you just hope that over the next ten days, I think they have ten straight home games, which is kind of crazy, uh, coming up, so that they need to take advantage. They have not been great at home so far this year. Yeah, and uh, no off days. You know, after this two week span, you know, we just mentioned it, and we haven't done a podcast in two weeks. They only played eleven games because they had three off days in like a six day period or something, some crazy. Yeah, it's uh, terrible. Thing. And now they're back on for 10 straight. So, uh, you know, interesting to be at home. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia this week. Uh, Pittsburgh for four, including a Thursday 12-10 game. Always a, always a crowd favorite. A 9 a.m. 9 9 for you here yeah. on the West Coast. It's wonderful. That's a delight for everybody in, at their day job, uh, at least, at least if, if they can follow it. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, interesting week coming up. Um, real quickly, let's just touch on a couple things that happened this week, and then we'll break down some uh, big picture stuff in terms of the uh, players, etc. cetera. Um, Kind of weird in that there's a lot of lopsided games this week. A couple of close ones as well, of course. But a 10-run loss, a 6-run loss, a 5-run win, a 7-run win, and then a pair of 5-6 uh, and six over the weekend. So it wasn't like there was a ton of uh, back and forth. But um, 
the week, I guess, two weeks ago, opened with this really weird game against Washington where um, Strasburg was on the mound for the Nats, and that was a weird one because it's always weird with Strasburg pitching against the Braves and all the jokes uh, run there. And it kind of this back and forth thing, um, and then it kind of went south in a hurry with Gosman. You mentioned Gosman in passing. I know we talked about it earlier, but just I can't be overstated like how bad he, how bad he's been uh, to the point where you know the eight inning, the, sorry, the eight earned run, one inning performance last Wednesday was uh, stuff to behold. And by the way, uh, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but that uh, the the third straight loss they had, so they ended the they ended the series against Washington with Owen with back to back losses. Then they go and play Detroit, who's not very good at home. And granted, they, they took two or three in that series, but the first game, something called Nico Goodrum went bubonic yeah. and had five hits. <laughs> Give us an absolutely yeah. crazy game, uh, and people just—I mean, it's, it's a long time ago at this point. But uh, Nico Goodrum is um, not very good at baseball, and uh, went crazy. So that, that was a weird one too. Just sort of yeah, that was that was frustrating. We went back to the Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, you talk about the Braves are playing well, and then they lay two stinkers against uh, against Washington. I think it was Anibal Sanchez, old old friend Anibal Sanchez, had like oh, a perfect game going into the seventh inning or something like that. Um, because because, so yeah, because of, to, of course he did obviously of naturally yeah after having like an ERA of seven yeah, he's been he's been terrible all year and that uh, the the not re-signing him has been a, has been the correct decision as we noted on this podcast but he was awesome that game which is funny yeah but as you said to win the final two games of that series uh, they were a little bit more of a battle than than the first one when they got blown away. Uh, it was good to you, you don't want to start losing series to the Tigers especially at home for sure. Um, other than that couple of uh, days off from Arcacus, which I want to get back to. That's on my notes um, to return to momentarily. Let's go a little bit more recent real quickly. I would say the game of the last two weeks, from an enjoyment standpoint, was Friday night in Miami um, when Mike Soroka was incredible. And then Ronald Acuna had the incredible bat flip. And the Braves had 14 hits. They beat up on a very famous pitcher and foe of theirs, and a 7-1 victory. Granted, it's the Marlins, but that's about as fun as you can have in a 7-1 game in June. Just bludgeoning uh, a bad Marlins team that also has bad blood with it. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Acuna getting his revenge, which was good. It was the, you know, of course, everything happened last year. And then the last time the Braves faced uh, faced Urania, it was the whole thing popped off with Gosman and, and all that. Um, and Acuna got kind of the last laugh. It was nice to see. Um, and as you mentioned, Mike Soroka just continues to be incredible. I mean, the kid nearly had a, a complete game shutout, got to, uh, I think it was a leadoff, uh, leadoff walk that the bullpen then allowed to, to come around in, in kind of meaningless fashion as, as they closed out the game. But Soroka has been so good. He outside of, of just a terrible next month, he's, he's basically a lock for being an all-star, uh, which is pretty special. I, I'd imagine you can only count the number of 21 year olds who have been an all-star game, uh, pitcher at that level and you know one or two hands is he's been incredible can't say it say it enough so uh, it was it was a lot of fun to watch for sure and uh, but just uh, just to catch up a little bit on Soroka a 1.38 ERA in 65 and a third innings that's outrageous uh, I, uh, I I erroneously uh, kind of said it that, that was not possible or something like that like I, I can't exactly I can't remember exactly what I said but something to do with how infrequently the sub two ERA happens and apparently there were two last year which I, I misspoke on two weeks ago so my fault on that but all that to say Soroka is uh, not likely to continue this based on his peripherals but uh I, I, at the moment he would be an absolute no doubt all-star and 
as you as you mentioned, he'd have, he'd have to kind of implode. Grant, I mean, only the only argument against him right now is like lack of workload because he's only made ten starts compared to some other guys who made like thirteen, fourteen. But other than that, man, he's been ridiculous. He's already worth like two wins according to the systems, and that's pretty crazy in, two, in ten starts. Yeah, and you talk about, and again, you, you almost want to knock on wood because he doesn't have the cleanest bill of health, but you know he's the closest thing. You know, the term ace gets thrown around way too much, right? But I think he is truly the, the closest thing the Braves have to an ace, a guy who you could realistically see just dominating for years and years to come. Again, he's he's so young. Pitchers, the shelf life is not long, as people know, but he's just so special. He, he just pounds the strike zone. His slider has been phenomenal this year. Keeps the ball in the park. Doesn't doesn't get behind in the count. Um, he, it's just a joy to watch him throw every five days. It really is. Can't be overstated enough how good he's been, and uh, we will come back to him uh, repeatedly on this podcast to be sure. Um, one more time, just because I, I, I want to emphasize this, that the bat flip was incredible. I just have to it say that amazing. out loud. Yeah. Uh, I he wish I can't remember I can't remember who said this, but somebody somebody tweeted out, and my apologies for not remembering who said that he should have run around the bases like with, with like with basically like like a sword unsheathed, like just carry, <laughs> carried the bat the entire way around the bases. I would I would have enjoyed that as well. But the flip I was, loved uh, that. was good also. Yeah, no, he deserved it, especially as everything went down last year. Yeah, he de- he deserved to have some fun. That was a fun one. Um as for the rest of the weekend, obviously a pair of victories. Uh, Saturday was uh, more ho-hum despite a 1-0 uh, finish. Um, it was a Julio Tehran game. We'll come back to Julio in a second because he was, again, very good. And it was a combined shutout from Julio, Anthony Swarzak, and Luke Jackson. The Braves got three hits and one, which doesn't usually happen on Saturday. Um, but, you know, to be fair to that game, and it, w- it was an interesting game to be sure that we'll come back to, Sunday was um, wild. Um the Braves scored four in the ninth to tie the game. Um, candidly, I was driving all day today and did not see this game. I heard some of it on the radio. Kind of put it on a little bit, just to be honest with you. Um, down four in the ninth. I was uh, trying to get through rainstorm and all that stuff driving. Uh, th- I was surprised to see that it was extra innings. I had to go back and catch up on, as to what happened. Ronald Acuna huh. with the big uh, the big blow of the game. Yeah. Um, before that, I wrote the afternoon for Tukey, but you know, get to the ninth. Sorry, get to the tenth inning. And trade runs because of a Luke Jackson blown save, but they still come come back and blow and pull it out in the in the twelfth based on Ozzy Albie's triple. Um, so a pretty wild one that I wish I got to actually watch from start to finish, but instead I listened to part of it. And uh, the rare save for Josh Tomlin should be the headliner, right? <laughs> yes, I think it was the first one of his career. There you which go. Is pretty crazy considering how long he's been around. Yeah, so that that was that was it was it was a fun game, and you know. That's one where everyone kind of agreed the Braves had no, have no business winning that game, honestly. No. Like, every once in a while, you get one of those on both sides. Like, you'll you give one away that you shouldn't, and then you'll win one that you shouldn't. That was certainly in the win that you shouldn't category, but the Marlins are bad, and that's one of those reminders that the Marlins are bad. Yeah, I mean, you talk, we talked about Acuna on Friday night, and of course, he hits a, just a rocket shot off Sergio Romo, a guy who's really tough on righties. Um, Acuna rocketed it. Looking back, I think. The first batter of the inning was was Ozzy Albies, and he made an out. So to put all that run together when one of your three outs had already been made uh, was a lot of fun. And, and you mentioned Luke Jackson uh, didn't even make bad pitches. It was just good, you know, good on the the Marlins. Old friend Martin Prado. Yeah, I forgot that was the uh, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, so you know it's it's gonna happen. Um, I think it is worth mentioning Anthony Swarzak's been really pretty good since coming over in the trade. Uh, yeah, I mean, very, that, very good. I think his ERA is like sub one right now, which yeah, is crazy. It but. is in his peripheral. I mean, he's obviously not that level of dominant, but um, you know, his peripherals are good. He's he's striking out guys. He's walked a couple uh, a couple more than you would like, but it hasn't really hurt him yet. Obviously, 
but yeah, for a guy who a lot of people were like, why, why are we getting him? Um, again, he, he, he used to be good. Flop. So it's yeah. not impossible to invest in being good. Two years ago, he yeah. was truly one of the best middle relievers in baseball, like two years ago. So it, it, that's kind of been the front office's MO since the topless came here. They might, they, they like to buy a low on guys who generally are coming off really bad year, but before that they were good. Uh, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Seattle is about as bad of an environment as you can have right now in, in baseball. Um, especially from a pitching standpoint, defense is, is miserable there. I think they're like dead last in pitch framing as well with their catchers. So, uh, yeah, he's been he's been good for a move that didn't cost the Braves anything. That you know they flipped Jesse Biddle and, and Vizcaino, who was done for the year. Of course, it was a worthwhile move, and so far it's paid off. Uh, he's been he's been pretty reliable in the seventh eighth innings. Yeah, qu- quickly on the bullpen, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Luke Jackson with good reason. He's been very good. We just mentioned Swarzak. Um, the combination of Tukey and Sean Newcomb in relief only roles. Tukey has a 1.17 ERA. And Newcomb has a 1.88 ERA. At least that was coming into Sunday, uh, which Tukey did not have a great game. So his, his ERA is going to go up from there. I don't I don't have it in front of me before, uh, sorry, after Sunday. But still, those two guys have been really good. And then you throw in the fact that, as I believe you tweeted earlier today, A.J. Minter has been very good in Gwinnett. He, I'm sure he'll be coming back pretty soon, considering, obviously, everyone agrees on his talent level. So uh, you have to assume someone with his pedigree pitching this well for this long, Gwinnett's going to be coming back soon. And uh, you start to see the makings of a uh, bullpen that, is it bad? How about that? Yeah, you're right. I was tweeting, uh, other than one really bad appearance from Mincer a couple nights ago, he's been scoreless, I think, in eight of his nine appearances since the demotion, which was about a month ago now. Um, yeah, he's he's been good. And you think about adding him, he you're not necessarily going to bring him up and throw him into the ninth inning right away. Oh, but certainly not. <laughs> Luke Jackson's not leaving, for, him, not leaving for a while, I don't think. Yeah, and up. as you know, you can never have too many bullpen arms. You know, you think about what the bullpen looks like now and what's going to look like in three months. There's a good chance at least half of them are are no longer there, aren't being in their same roles just because of the natural ebbs and tides of, of a bullpen I pitcher mean, in 2019. It's interesting because, like, just the talent, like the talent level, just if you look at the back end, guys, if you if you include Tukey and Newcomb and even Sorzak, the talent level of those arms compared to the guys they had in the bullpen in April is pretty stark. I mean, Tukey obviously is a high-end Starting pitching prospect with a great arm. Newcomb, the arm's never been the problem for Sean Newcomb. He obviously has a pretty good arm. Um, and then you throw in Minter coming back pretty soon. Swarzak has a good arm. Like, suddenly the talent level it isn't always going to necessarily be great production. And maybe there's some volatility because there always is in the bullpen. But just the, the raw arms that they have now are just much more interesting to me. Um, I oh, mean, for even, sure. Even Josh Tomlin, like, is not great by any means. But he's someone with, like, elite control and he's your long man, and he, you could do worse than Josh Tomlin. Like, he was a decent starter at one point in his life. Like, they have some decent arms in the bullpen now, which is uh, fun. Well, and even, you know, Dan Winkler had those two arm. really had two awful starts. You know, he got lit up that night where they just snit left him out there against the Cardinals, and he gave up, like, six <laughs> runs. I forgot about that. Um, I was like, hey, Dan, you're going to chill on the mound for as long as I decide to leave you out there. It was bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what was going on, but he got torched. Raised his ERA like three runs or something like that, and then I think it was two nights later he pitches against the Nationals on that night where Gosman got lit up, and and I think Winkler gave up four or five more runs, and and again was just kind of left out to to finish the inning because the game was effectively over at that point. You know why burn someone else when you have to cover seven or eight bullpen innings? So other than that, he's been pretty good. And again, you're not you're not relying on him as your closer if he's the fourth or fifth righty to turn to out of the bullpen. Uh, you can do worse, and and you know even if uh, 
even if he's going to let one up, it, you know, again, it's, it's, no one's going to confuse this bullpen with the dominant ones that the Yankees or the Brewers had last year, but uh, it's gotten better, especially when you compare it to, to what they were running out on say uh, like the opening series of the year. Yeah, that's a safe place to leave that, I think. But yeah, much more encouraging out of the bullpen. Uh, last pitching thing, I think, for today's podcast is uh, Julio Tehran, which we teased a minute ago. But, you know, for all of the, and Grant, I'll raise my hand first, for all, all of the shots taken at Julio Tehran, um, and again, myself included, uh, he's been quite good. 14, 14 starts, 77 in the third innings, his ERA is 3.03. Um, Granted, the peripherals do not look like someone who's going to have a three point oh three ERA, but you know, especially with the with the walk rate and start, you know, his fit back step are both in the fours. But listen, we're now fourteen starts in. That's almost half a season, and the fact that you know you know how those starts in the bank, the fact that they've been able to pitch, he's been able to pitch that well and that effectively has been huge for this team, frankly, especially with, with the way the Gosman has kind of imploded. And by the way, they have reverse um, trends because it's, kind of, it's hilarious. Julio's peripherals are worse than Gosman's, which is uh, hmm. always funny to see. And granted, they, they've gotten closer because of Gosman's last two starts, and he's been legitimately awful. Like You can't just bank on the peripherals there. But the fact that Julio has been this effective for this long, it can't be overstated Like how important and helpful that's been. No, absolutely. You Since, uh, you know, he, he was okay in April, not great, but since the start of May, which is um, I think it's a span of eight starts since then. He has a 0.7 ERA. That seems 0. good. 0.7 over 38 innings. And uh, again, as you mentioned, there's still some some cause for concern. He amazingly has not given up a home run in those eight starts, which was his, his kryptonite the last couple of years. He, he's still not striking out a ton of guys. He's still walking a few too many. But as he did last year, whenever the ball does get put in play against him, it's just it's somehow finding a glove. Um, but hey, you know what? If Julio, even his FIP is is three point three eight, if he can come even close to having like a four ERA for the Braves this year, that's a huge win. It, it's not a scenario where the Braves are counting on him to be their number one or even number two, especially with the addition of Keuchel. But if he's the team's number five and can give the Braves a, a four ERA over one hundred and eighty two hundred innings, you take that all day, especially when, um, as we noted last year, he was he was just so inconsistent, and you just never knew who was going to show up. Obviously, he's he's not quite this good. Nobody is, but um, he's been fantastic over his last eight starts. And as you said, it's kind of helped cover up just how bad Gosman and, and Fulte have been. Yeah, I would take the over on a 3.03 RA. That is to be sure. <laughs> but still, they're banked, and you know, lucky or not, like that stuff matters. And they're you know you're not you're not gonna have that have that available to you in the rotation. And uh, by the way, he leads he leads the team in innings by more than ten. That is also quite helpful. Uh, he's always been durable, but that really helps. Yep. As well, um, and by the way, yep. we should mention briefly because Fol- you know Fulte gets glossed over because of Gosman. Fulte's ERA is almost six; like it's it's been real bad, um, and there's not a lot of help coming from the peripherals there either. Um, you know, on the on the bright side, he's not walking anybody, but um, his FIP is six point six two. Like Fulte is officially in worry mode, and he's gotten you know probably lucky that Gosman's blown up when he has, or else or else the the calls would be a lot louder for Fulte. So that's worth keeping an eye on too. Yeah, he has another start against Pittsburgh. Um, it needs to be better because, as you said, Gosman's gotten all the heat, but Fulte's been really bad. The slider's been terrible, especially as good as it was last year. So he's somebody who needs to pick it up, too. For sure. All right, let's get to uh, some offensive stuff before we get out of here on this fine Sunday evening. Uh, first things first, uh, 
we should acknowledge that Austin Riley was the rookie of the month for May. No big surprise there. But the funny thing is that he was competing with guys who were up all month, and he only, only played 15 games. That's how good Austin Riley was in May. Uh, he was the rookie of the month with seven home runs. Uh, he slugged 746 for the month of May, which is outrageous, and definitely earned that uh, award. But he has slowed down a little bit, and that was always going to happen. Um, his, his numbers are still really good um, for his entire, quote, career so far, 98 plate appearances. But he's down to a 327 on-base percentage. Um, his WRC Plus is still very good at 138. and He's still slugging over 600, so nothing to worry about. But he's playing every single day. He's been out there every day, and he seems to be at least, you know, people adjusting a little bit to Austin Riley. It was always going to happen, but it's been a little bit more violent than some anticipated, particularly in the area of getting on base. Yeah, and he's he's certainly due for a day off. I hope the Braves give him a breather on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it may be. Uh, as you said, he was never going to continue his Barry Bonds-like pace, but he's clearly a very talented hitter, a guy who has a lot of power. But at the same time, he's only 22. It's his first time seeing big league pitching. The strikeouts are, are the only real concern with this game right now. But again, not everyone has a full command of the strike zone by the time uh, they're 20 games into their big league careers or whatever. So hopefully he gets a breather, gets his head right, and starts to do what he was doing earlier and is, uh, since coming up. Yeah, and again, no worries on Austin Riley whatsoever, and he's still been quite good on the, in the aggregate. Just it, the, the regression did come that we kind of expected, and that was, I guess the, the next step now is how he adjusts back, because that's just what happens. And, you know, we, yeah, we, we see guys go, come in and, and rake um, and adjust, and then they have to adjust back, and I still think Austin is going to hit, no question about it. Get, based on what we've seen so far on the raw power is uh, breathtaking, I think is a good word for it. When, when he when he connects, man, it, it, it pops off his back. Oh, he's incredible. The yeah. raw the raw power is real. Uh, but we'll come back and see. We'll check on him frequently. Um, last two things I want to hit on before we get out of here. Uh, we got we got a lot of questions this week and really every week I would say about Markakis and Donaldson. So let's go with those two guys real quickly. Nick Markakis, last twenty nine games, he has a one eighty six, two sixty three, two seventy five slash line. It's a five thirty eight OPS. And that's more plate appearances than Austin Riley has in his career, just for the record. Um, it's just for comparison there. 114 plate appearances there for Marquecas, where he's kind of just fallen off the face of the earth. Um, Donaldson has also cooled, not quite as much that, but Donaldson is now down to a 107 WRC plus for the season, which is still solid, but not what you want out of him. And he's 10 for his last 60. Um, I think, I'll speak for myself only, I am more worried about Marquecas than Donaldson. For sure. And by the way, they finally started giving him some days off. He had two days off in the last week or so, which is much needed for him based on the wall that he that he seemed to be hitting. But do you have concern about Donaldson or is it both of these guys? I mean, how do you view these two, you know, the, the two old guys, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you. I think I worry a little more about Nick uh, just because, as you mentioned, the, the line has been so bad over the last month. Uh, Donaldson hasn't really hit that next gear. I think there's still a chance for him to hit that gear. Um, you look at his batted ball profiles, he's still hitting the ball really hard. I think he's still in like the top 20 or so in batted ball rate. Um, so he's hitting the ball well. He just hasn't, seems like every night he's hitting one really hard right in an outfielder. Um, but yeah, both have, both have struggled lately. Um, it's, it's not ideal. It's been helpful to have Austin Riley hitting everything because he's kind of helped cover up for those guys. But as you mentioned, Markakis got a couple days off, which is hopefully beneficial. Matt Joyce uh, had a terrific game on Sunday, which is uh, – I don't think we've mentioned him yet, but he was great. I think he was two for three. He's been, a couple he's of been good all year. He's really yeah. helpful. Yeah. So, you know, with Donaldson, I think they're going to continue to monitor him. I'm, I'm guessing he'll also get a day off uh, this week, maybe two. 
as they continue to, as you mentioned, they just don't have any days off. But um, both have been down. I think there's a chance for both to be better, though, and ultimately that's what you just have to hope for. I can't wait for another week of struggling Donaldson and the calls for Austin Riley to be the full-time third baseman and just to bench the $23 million man at third base. Uh, what can you do? It's going to happen. I'm prepared for it. Uh, but all, in all seriousness, Mar- Marquecas is, is worrisome. I mean, I know we have a reputation and probably well-earned for being critical of him. Um, I, it's just, it's been a while now. This is not a short-term thing. And, you know, he started out hot again, but we have the track record now from, from last year that he just probably was never going to sustain this. And giving him some days off would probably help. But, um, you know, at some point, the decision might have to be made for him to not be an everyday starter anymore. Um, that's something that has to be out there. And right now, they don't have a perfect solution because of how bad Camargo was and because Adam Duvall isn't on the roster. But, you know, it's just something to keep an eye on. I mean, how long can you go with this Marquecas? I think he's going to bounce back. He's not this bad, obviously, um, as bad as he's been the last, like, month or so. But still, if he still struggles like this for, like, two more weeks, you got to start talking about other options. Like, not benching him entirely, obviously, because he's on your roster and is very helpful at certain things, like, like, like getting on base. But how long could he be in the lineup six and a half out of every seven games is kind of the question. Yeah, you're right. And I think, fortunately for the Braves, it's, you know, what, early, mid-June, so they have another six weeks or so before they really have to make decisions. Yeah, plenty of time. You know, but if we're still having this conversation in three or four weeks and he continues to not hit, and you know he's more than likely going to be fifth or sixth in the order, uh, that's a problem. Not many teams are successful (laughs) with with guys hitting. You're you're baiting me, Scott. uh, You're baiting me in the batting order, Scott. You you know how I feel about this. You're baiting me right now. I know. No, I'm kidding. Got poked the bear or something. No, that's smart. You hope that you hope that he gets it going even a little bit, even if he's an average hitter. I think you take it just because you know he's going to have guys on base in front of him. And if if Riley keeps hitting, um, Ozzy Albies has has had a nice last four or five games. I think he's walked in six straight games, which is I think he uh, has. I'm looking at something now. Astonishing for him. He has he has one strikeout in June, which yeah, it's a small sample, but that's not like Ozzy, and that that's eight games with one strikeout, and that is uh, that's encouraging as well. In addition to the walks that you mentioned. So. Yeah, and he was hitting a lot of balls well. He, he hit at least one in Miami that's probably a home run in any other stadium. But when they have a wall, uh, you know, 410 to center field and the ball doesn't carry there and so on, it, it, it was a warning track fly out. But he's hitting the ball well. He's he's working the count. He gets so aggressive sometimes. And, again, you're talking about a guy who's 21, 22 years old. He's going to have his ups and downs. But hopefully Ozzy can get, get going again because – uh, other than the last week, he hasn't been great since the first couple weeks of the year. Oh, certainly not. He's been he's been he's been a pretty you know not a huge negative overall, but in terms of what he's supposed to, supposed to be, quote unquote, Ozzy has been underachieving, not to the level of like Camargo, who's been a disaster or anything like that, but um, not the best that you would see from Ozzy. So we'll keep an eye on him as well. Um, all right, last thing here, big picture wise, you know the the Braves are one, are one game back. Right now, which is a good place to be, you know, the, the Phillies are not like lighting the world on fire. Um, you and I haven't talked in terms of just deep dive in this forum for like three or four weeks now on this podcast. Where are you at with the Braves overall? I mean, that's, that's an interesting question to kind of pose to you in you know mid June. But are you picking them to win things now, or, or or is it a situation where it's like cautious optimism? You know, it's a good question. Um, I, I do think. I think they win the division. I, I just don't. The Phillies keep finding ways to win games, and you look at their numbers, and their ERA is pretty good, but you start looking at their numbers a little deeper, and they just haven't been very good as a pitching staff. Um, my issue, of course, is is are the Braves going to be able to hold up? Adding Heichel is a big addition, but 
as we've talked, it's been a team that's been up and down for, for quite a while. But yeah, as of today, I think they win the East. I'm not sure. Obviously, playoffs are, are so tough to predict, and the National League is so tough, one through 10 or 12 this year. Um, even if they don't win the East, I think they'll have a pretty good chance to wildcard too. So yeah, as we, as we sit here recording on uh, June 9th, June 10th, whatever, um, I, I do think they win the division, um, and, and then hopefully the playoff fates are a little bit better. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. All right, Scott, we're probably a little bit shorter than normal, but uh, listen, it's midnight on the East Coast. I'm a zombie. You are mourning your St. Louis Blues for a couple <laughs> nights, and we've probably done enough content considering our emergency podcast as well. So please plug anything you'd like aside from your St. Louis loves St. Louis St. Louis Blues. I can't even talk. Uh, Fandom. Yes. <laughs> plug anything that you'd like on this fine evening as we get uh, wrap up here. Yeah, as always, uh, keep checking the site. We'll have, as we should see, a fair number of the draftees signed this week, which will be exciting. Um, keep an eye on those. The, the minor league guys do such a good job with it. And you mentioned, of course, the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is here as well. So be sure to subscribe and listen to that. And it should be a fun week. Um, Monday night, all eyes on Dallas Keuchel. I should have something coming later this this week, uh, though I don't know what just yet. I got to talk to our fearless leader, Chris Willis, about it. But um, see, so yeah, I have something on the side on Friday. And, and as always, just any uh, any news that pops up, we'll be ready to go. Yeah, for sure. And uh, interesting week on, on the horizon, I would say, in addition to Keuchel, um, Monday, Gosman, Tuesday, Fulte, those are two very interesting starts. That's all yep. I'll say. Uh, yep. Especially Fulte against Chris Archer, who's been uh, not great in Pittsburgh. So uh, that's, that's one of the circle in general. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come back a week from now. Hopefully I'll be back in, in, the, in the city of Atlanta with better uh, microphone work and we'll talk again <laughs> in one week. But, uh, yeah, yeah, please, please subscribe. And my allergies won't be – yeah, allergies won't be killing me. Allergies and the blues, whatever it is. Uh, Hopefully the blues will be uh, cup champs in a week from now. Scott. Yeah, we'll do an emergency pod if the blues win on Wednesday. No one will no. listen to that. Not one person <laughs> in the world. I would appreciate your downloads, though, everyone. You don't want to listen to that podcast when we do it on Wednesday night at one in the morning. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell a friend about this podcast. Check out the site as always, and we'll see everybody in exactly, at least hopefully, one week. Bye.